Welcome to Simply Happy, a show where you'll be learning how to shift into a more positive perspective in easy-to-manage steps. Who am I? My name's Olivia. I'm a mother, a wife, the driven woman behind SimplyAlley.com, and someone who ditched bipolar, anxiety, and depression through mastering my mindset and emotions. So let's chat about some tips that have helped transform my life and many others, because life doesn't need to look perfect to be happy. Hey there, what's up? It's your girl Olivia coming at you with another bonus episode of Simply Happy. Now on today's guest episode, I am chatting with Julie Kiddo. Now as always with my guest episodes, I am going to leave it up to Julie to introduce herself, to talk more about what she does and her story, but I want to share with you why I had Julie come on the show in the first place. Now in this episode, we cover so much great information. Like I can't even, where to begin? Um, we talk about, you know, bipolar diagnosis and what that can do to you getting through that, moving through that, um, along with yoga and how much of a beneficial tool it is. There is so much that we cover in this episode, and I know you guys are just going to absolutely enjoy it. And Julie is such a warm soul, and I'm so, so thrilled to have had her on the podcast. So without further ado, dive on in. All right, I am so excited to welcome Julie to the show. Julie, welcome. Welcome to Simply Happy. So happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes. And so I love to start off the podcast by asking you what it is that you do to help more people become Simply Happy. Great question. What is it I don't do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> great, great answer. Um, oh, my goodness. I Well, I guess the first physical thing I do, I own two yoga studios, one in Avon, Colorado, one in Glenwood Springs. And we um, yoga is something that brings a lot of happy and joy into my life. And we um, not only do we offer a yoga practice at the studio, it's really a sense of community and where people know they have a place away from home to gather, to connect. Um, we even have an online community now that um, you know, things are a little socially distanced at times. But there's, there's lots of things that I would say having the yoga studios and being a cause for creating community is a big thing that I do to offer happy to others. Mm, I absolutely love that. I love that. Do you feel, well, before we, I want to talk about yoga. <laughs> Because it, it has been a huge piece of, of my journey as well, um, which I just I think is it's such an amazing tool um, for people to use, especially that are dealing with mental health issues. Um, but um, you have your book, Bipolar. And so, I, of course, I want the audience to know that um, this is something that you've experienced as well in your life. Um, so would you mind sharing a little bit about your journey um, with mental health struggles? Absolutely. I guess my first experience with depression was probably when I was 16. That was in 1986. And I had I was on a school that I went to had a program called May, May program or May term. It was kind of like J term, except it was in May. And I grew up in Minnesota and I went to my grandmother's in Wisconsin to work at a child care that she had created. And while I was away, I started getting these weird feelings of just a weird feeling in my belly. I started to not sleep, and I was like, what is this? And I realized I was getting anxious, even though I was at the end of my sophomore year in high school, I was projecting to the future and already worried about what 
I would do when I went off to college. Yeah. And so that kind of that fear of the unknown. And then I think coupled with missing my high school friends or yeah, missing my high school friends, I just got anxious, became anxious and lack of sleep and, and not eating. And then got back home, saw my pediatrician and he said, Oh, she's fine. She just needs to be with her friends. And, and so then I went with my friends and I was really fine. And then jump forward to the fall of my senior year in high school. My mom and I went on a college trip to the University of Puget Sound in Washington. And literally, so then at that point, college would be happening for me in a year. And I started projecting forward to the what if, when I go off to college, and what am I going to do? And that same anxious slash depressed feeling came back. And not sleeping, not eating. And, and by the time I got back to school that the following week, I had a really hard time concentrating, focusing, and so my parents pulled me out of school and had me at home, and I went to a psychologist and then eventually a psychiatrist who put me on medication, and it helped for a little bit of time that fall, and then for whatever reason, it, it didn't help. It wasn't working, and I my depression was getting heavier and heavier to the point of really where I could get myself dressed in the morning. I hardly spoke. Um, I knew my name, I knew my social security number, and I just, I felt like my mind was blank. And um, so by, I guess, December of the, all of my senior year of high school, I was, my parents didn't know what to do with me. And so I was hospitalized for two months. And while I was hospitalized, I, during that time, I was labeled bipolar. And I still, to this day, don't, 100% know why how the bipolar diagnoses came about I know they thought maybe because I was put on an antidepressant and then it didn't work and then I became so depressed um, and then while I was hospitalized and there were a host of things that happened and Olivia I don't know how deep you want me to get into that mm-hmm. experience in that, the hospital or not um, that's um, but I, I got yeah I'll leave that up to you go ahead I, I said I'll leave that up to you I I've I came very close to being hospitalized um and I, I know I've had some students that have been and some that haven't been. So I'll leave that up to you how, how if you want to explore that or not. Okay. I think I will because it, it, it really, um, I mean, my lights were out. I was, I became catatonic. Mm-hmm. And if people don't know what catatonia is, I mean, it was, I was literally staring at the ceiling wall and couldn't, couldn't function at all. And I know that when I was admitted, the medications that I was on, I was also on Xanax, um, I was pulled cold turkey off of those, and that was back in 1987, where they probably didn't know better, and nowadays, yeah. any sort of um, medication for behavioral health, it's like weaning off, mm-hmm. and so I think that may have, I was already extremely depressed, and then I think, coupled with taking cold turkey off of these medications, it, it just made it more severe, and um, and I, I, I thought I was going to be stuck like that forever, mm-hmm. and... Um, and so it was, it was scary and it felt alone and, and all of that. And then, um, and then though they, I, they put me on some really heavy duty medications and eventually I started coming back around and, um, and was, uh, released two months after I was hospitalized. And then I kind of did a, an in and outpatient deal with them for two weeks. And then I went back to my senior year of high school and that was, that was really tough. I went to a private uh, high school in Golden Valley, Minnesota, and I just, I had so much shame around going back and, like, how, you know, just figured everybody knew, yeah. and, like, 
feeling like a freak. Um, and though I was really committed, I was committed to getting better, and um, I was committed to going to college. So I I went to college that fall, and then that fall of my freshman year in college, for whatever reason, my the psychiatrist at the time took me off of lithium that I was on. I don't know why. And uh, as I was heading towards the year anniversary of being hospitalized, I started getting really kind of like manic almost, like just talking a lot and scared and nervous. And Mm -hmm. so I went back to my psychiatrist. He put me back on lithium. And then I ended up having probably like a toxic reaction to the lithium and was hospitalized again, that time for two weeks. And they, they took me off the lithium and they had said, my psychiatrist at the time said that the, like three days later, the I still had toxic levels of lithium in my body. So I, I, I'm not quite sure if the mania was just the mania or if it was also coupled with medication. And so anyway, so I was, during that two week stint, I was put on Tegretol and that was a really, that worked really well for me. It was a mood stabilizer. So I went back to college as a freshman, finished my freshman year at that school and then ended up transferring to the University of Minnesota. But one thing that I, I just want to jump back when I was yeah. hospitalized the first time, I had a psychiatrist who told my parents, she said, Julie, Julie will get better. She will go on to lead a normal life. She will graduate from high school. She will go to college. She will get married someday and she will have kids. And I don't know how she knew that. And though that was all the hope I needed to just to hang on to that. Aww. And, um, so that was really my, my youth stuff. And then within all that and what's come out more in my recent years and yoga and delving into things that, <clears throat> excuse me, hold me back. I had, there was some sexual abuse that I had that most likely contributed a fair amount to why my depression got so bad. When I was seven, I was um, molested by my male babysitter oh. several times. And I never told my mom until I was 17 when she was, when I was so depressed and she was going through all the things like, have you smoked pot? What did so-and-so, the babysitter? She had a feeling the babysitter did something to me. I, I just lied to her forever. I don't know why. I, did, I guess I didn't want her to get mad. And, <laughs> right. I don't know, but I just, I hit it. And so when she's going through the list, have you smoked pot? Have you done this? Have you? And so then it came out, yep, this is what he did. And, um, and so like, and I've just done some reading in Brene Brown's books and, you know, keeping things a secret, like just manifest in the body. And, um, and then when I was 16, I was backpacking in Colorado and, and, uh, my friend and I were, um, we were attacked and almost raped and, and, uh, so two pretty severe traumas. And that, the one when I was 16 happened probably just slightly over a year before my major depression when I was a senior. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, dealing with all of that, and um, I was on Tegretol, the medication I was put on when I was a freshman in college, all the way up until 2002, when I wanted to get pregnant with my first child, and my my psychiatrist at the time highly recommended it, um, and so that was really scary. That was really scary for me to go off of the medication. It was like a, at the time, it was like the scariest thing I'd ever done because I never ever ever wanted to go back to how depressed I was right and and though I really wanted to have kids so I had my psychiatrist he monitored me he reassured me said okay we'll wean you off this is what you will do and and so I just I listened to everything he said to do with weaning off and um 
and I guess I, I mean off in like February of 2002 and by January of 2003 I had my first child and and then jump forward another two and a half years later I had my second child and so I went about five years with being on no medication and then um, I guess I hit really like in 2007 had another rough year my husband had had a job that where he had a big career change and then his father had passed away and I had a friend that kept asking me to come to yoga and she said I have a week free yoga pass at the Vail Weather Club and and I kept saying I'm too stressed out to go to yoga <laughs> <laughs> that's so <laughs> funny because <laughs> you know, somebody said isn't that why you go right yes and you know I have the whole I don't have time and I'm not yeah. good enough and I'm not flexible enough and you know all the reasons right um, all the reasons I hear now from people you know and I'm like come to yoga and so I finally listened to her after my my father-in-law passed away in October of 07 and so I started in November of 07 and I went and my teacher was she was trained under Baptiste Dan Baptiste, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, and she played Amazing Grace and Shavasana, and I had my eyes covered, and I cried, and I let go, and I was like, this is where I need to be, and then my next two teachers were also trained with Darren, and I felt like they were all talking to me, like there's mm-hmm. just something about this style of yoga, it's speaking to me, and so I, shortly after I started doing yoga, I guess it was in January of 2008, I did a 40 Days to Personal Revolution program based on Darren Baptiste's book. 40 Days to Personal Revolution, and I only wanted to do it really to, to deepen my yoga practice since I was so new, mm-hmm. and that program also though has a, a mindful eating component, a meditation component, journaling, personal inquiry, and I wasn't going to change a thing about my diet. I thought people who meditated were weird, <laughs> and, and I wasn't going to do any of those things, and though I am a rule follower, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do the program the way the program is designed. <laughs> every morning for my mid-morning snack and I have an apple I feel better or when I meditate I'm less reactive and I sleep better and so I started bringing these things in to my daily practices not just during the 40 days I just I kept doing them and then a year later I did another 40 days program and I at some point in that first year of doing yoga I was like I need to teach yoga Mm -hmm. I need to do this and I'm a an education major and and I just te- teaching or offering something to people is always something that lights me up making a difference in others lives that I had done I was on the Vail Ski Patrol before I had kids and I taught CPR and first aid to incoming patrollers and I really loved teaching people who were interested in hearing what I had to say because I was an early childhood education major so it was like preschoolers and they didn't really always care about what I was saying unless I was reading some sort of funny book or right. <laughs> something. So I was, after I did 40, a couple of 40 days, I was like, I need, I need to teach this. And then I went on to train with, with Darren Baptiste. And, and so I started teaching and, and I realized that not only that yoga practice supported me and my mental health, then it became amazing to be at cause for offering it to other people. Mm. And then I started assisting 40 days programs and started leading them with some of the teachers at the Vail Athletic Club. And then, and then at some point we decided it was like, okay, let's start our own thing. So I opened up 
Revolution Power Yoga in 2012 with a business partner, and it's morphed a lot over the years. Um, I bought her out a few years back, and, and we've moved the studio and opened a second studio, and it's just been really amazing to be a cause for making a difference in people's lives, for being a contribution, and, and then they turn around, and not only do they get contributed, then they go and contribute to people. It's like kind of a pay-it-forward program. Yeah. So that's, that's a long answer to your question about oh. my my background of, of depression. Hey, you know what? That's a fantastic long answer, and I will take it. <laughs> no, I love that, I and I appreciate so much that you shared so much of your journey and, and story with us, because I feel like... It helps us connect. It helps us relate when we get to hear somebody else's experience and 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 find similarities even because I feel like especially with mental illness, it's a, it feels like a very lonely thing. And when in reality, there's so many people that are it, I mean, it's like it's sad and it's wonderful at the same time, but like have suffered similarly. <laughs> um, so it's it's like you're not really alone. Um, but. Yeah. But yeah, I, I um I don't even I don't even know where to start. There's all so many things we could talk about right now. Um I it's fascinating to me that and cuz I've done the same in my life to where you kind of look back in in hindsight, right? And you're like that probably played a factor in this happening. Um like and you just don't really notice it at the time. Like like traumas. Um I can imagine even having them just take you off of medications and the emotional lashback that that has was traumatic in its own right too. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 seeing how the anniversary of, you know, when you were um sent to a hospital was was super triggering. And I think that happens very commonly. And I, it's it's something that I love to talk about with my students where it's a it's a wider pattern, you know, where like it's something we don't know how to we don't really think to anticipate for because it happens so far apart from each other. So like anniversaries or um, revisiting a place that you haven't gone to in a long time or stuff like that will like immediately trigger um, like similar sensations from when you were there if it was okay. if it was bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, how do you feel? And you're you're so and you're not on medication anymore, right? I am not. Right. So after you had your kids, were you just like, I'm just going to continue? Like, I'm just going to continue to live this life without medication? Was that kind of part of it? Oh, yeah. I kind of I realizing and hearing you speak, Olivia, there's a couple of pieces that I, I left out unintentionally so I went about five years without being on medication after when I first went off in trying to get pregnant Mm -hmm. until 2007 so the year that I mentioned that was a really bad year when I lost my father-in-law and my husband had a job change I did end up going back on a medication that my my husband had been working at night and sleeping during the day and Mm -hmm. then when he stopped that job and started Sleeping, we started sleeping at the same time. He snored all night long. And my, <laughs> just made, I couldn't sleep, and it made my, I made my anxiety go through the roof. And so, um, my my doctor at the time was like, "Okay, just let's go on something for a little bit." And and then that it ended up being, I guess I was on that until the fall of 2014. So I went on it. It was uh, to support with sleep and also um, 
a mood stabilizer, and though I still wasn't really, after a while, I wasn't sleeping the greatest, and my moods weren't that great, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this medication is not working. Right. And so I, um, I weaned off of that in the fall of 2014, and though I I have to make sure I get on my mat, it's, it's not every day, definitely every other. Mm-hmm. I meditate twice a day. I got to get in nature. I need to connect with people. There are practices that I have to do daily that I guess are, a, I don't know if I want to say a substitute for medication, but they are my medication. Yeah, you know, yeah. If I don't meditate in the morning, my husband's like, do you need to meditate? <laughs> do you need to meditate? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you need to get on your <laughs> I love that so much. I love that your husband just knows. He's like, do you need to, because I'll give you space to do that. <laughs> You're gonna make my life a whole lot better if you get on your mat. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah, I think that's um that's a that's such an amazing point um to talk about too is is especially for anyone who's, you know, on medication or weaning off of medication, yeah, there needs to be like you have to take care of yourself. Um and especially throughout the process of, of weaning off of it, like your body's going through an adjustment. So you kind of you like you said you kind of step in and you be the medication for yourself and that's totally possible um and it helps kind of ease that transition mm-hmm. i don't i don't I, go oh, ahead sorry, no you go <laughs> well you go I, I i'm always a little reluctant too to, to preach about medications because it's such a fine line i know for years mm-hmm. like i was on them and thank goodness for some of them i mean Thank goodness for science and all of that. And I know that when I was on medication, especially when I started doing yoga and I would read articles about get off of your medication, I, I really, they really made me mad. Yeah. And I, I, I was, I felt a ton of shame around being on something and I don't ever want to have anyone feel shame around being on a medication ever. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the flip side is I remember one year, I think it was maybe the year anniversary after I had gone off of the medication I was on. So it was like 2015. And I posted something on Facebook and I was just proud of myself. I was so scared to go back off of the medication and go proud of myself for using my tools. And, and I've done a lot of work on myself, a lot of teacher trainings, a lot of psychiatry, a lot of counseling, a lot of uh, alternative healers. You know, it's not like just one day I woke up and said, I'm not taking a pill and I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <laughs> Um, and then it, so when I did that post, I had someone reach out to me and she said, uh, I want to go off my medication. And then we talked and she shared that she didn't do any sort of exercise at all, like refused to get on her yoga mat, refused to walk, refused. And I said, well, you're probably better off staying on your medication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, a doctor. I don't ever preach about that. And right. it's, I, I want to meet people where they are. And I, you said something after I had shared that reminded me of, um, you know, I, I think, depression, anxiety, bipolar, it, it, it can be so isolating. And I know for me, for so long, I, I thought I was the only one mm-hmm. and that there is no way that anyone could ever relate to what I was going through. And I just, I just want people to know they're not alone and that there is always hope. And, you know, it, it, it may be work to get there. I know my teacher Baron Baptista says, "Don't wish for it, work for it." And and I, and one of the things, I guess it was around in 2010, I had met with one of my healers, and 
and she could see auras and chakras and and I, I was in a place of not accepting my mental health at all. I had a ton of shame around it. I had applied for a Baptiste yoga program and on the application it said, are you taking a medication? And I had answered yes, although I wanted to say no. Yeah. And then I got an email saying, well, you need to get an email from your a letter from your doctor saying that you're going to be okay. And I remember I got so reactive. I threw something across the room and I just was mad, just mad. And, um, and then I got the letter signed and, you know, went to the program and I was like, wait, there's something here that you're not dealing with. And this is really before I really delved into a lot of personal work. And, and then when I saw this healer and she was listening to my story and, and at the time when I was on a medication, she really got me to a place of just accepting it. And that I went through all that I went through because I'm, it is my mission in life to support people to demystify anxiety and depression and for people to know they're not alone and to be out and share. So Olivia, thank you for having me on this podcast today because you're, you're supporting me and fulfilling my vision and my bigger purpose in sharing Aww. so that people know they're not alone and, um, and to know that there's hope and, and whether people are on medication or off, like, like let's be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, Joy and, is a, Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm grateful to have you on the show because it just I, I think getting to, to know other people's perspectives and journeys is so valuable and so important. Um, and so just to have you like because I you know, this the show is just me for the longest time. And I'm like over here like you can do it. You can you can beat it. There's hope, you know, but to, to have more people va- validate that. Um, and to and to give people hope is is a powerful powerful thing because I know that's what I felt um, I I was missing in my journey is that there was there was nobody rooting for me and so the part of your story where that doctor was like she's gonna she's gonna be okay she's gonna get out of this I was like oh my gosh thank your doctor <laughs> like, like I know it's something that I don't know if doctors are allowed to do it or not, but I think it's so important to give people that that hope, and 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 that forward thinking because it, it's it's life changing. Because I know for me in in my own journey, um, I was around people who also dealt with mental health struggles, but none of us, nobody was rooting for us. Nobody had a way out. Nobody thought we'd make it. Like it just it just wasn't something that was shared. And it was like, mm-hmm. the doctor was just like, yep, you're going to probably live with this the rest of your life. And I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> like, thanks. Thanks, thanks, man. I'm okay. I'm going to go now. <laughs> like, like th- thanks for the thanks for the boost. I'm just a 13-year-old kid that's like, got, got no future, apparently. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's, you know, I, I am so... Uh, appreciative that this is part of your vision as well is helping more people understand that it's it's not the end and that we can we can overcome no, no matter how dark it it seems you know oh. yeah for sure yeah. yes yes yeah and yeah, I, there is always hope exactly exactly and you know i'm i'm with you um speaking of medication just cuz it's such a it's i mean it's such a topic because you know, definitely in our society. And I think more, more paths are opening up, but it's very much like you just, you go the meds and therapy route. And so that's why I'm always preaching and advocating for meds and therapy aren't your only options. Um, I'm not anti-medication, but 
you know, it was kind of like what you were sharing with that the one person who was like, well, I want to get off my, my meds, but like, I don't want to do anything to also help myself. And it's like, well, then then you may just want to stay because otherwise it's it's probably not going to be super pretty and you're probably going to go back to what was what was happening before. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I, and there should never be medication shaming. And I hope that I've, I've never done that to anyone, um, you know, through my messaging. But, yeah, there shouldn't be medication shaming. Um, you know, I'm of course, I'm a believer that, you know, it's we shouldn't have to take that route, that there are natural alternatives um, to helping and healing and bettering ourselves. But I know that if, for some people, it is a massive help. And for others, um, it's it's a, a I'll use the word crutch in like in like a in a kind way, like it, it's a support, you know, it kind of helps while they get um, healthier habits and and things into place. And then they are able to wean off just yeah. just like how you did, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, I, it's wild to me that at first they were just taking you off medications and then it became uh, weaning you off. I, I don't think I ever weaned off. I always just took myself off medications and like, I know firsthand, like, don't do that. (laughs) This is not, this is not the way to go. I promise. That's not safe. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh my goodness yeah anytime my students come to me I'm like go talk to your doctor but like you know you, you've learned all the tools you, you know you have you've done all the work like I think you could do it but go to your doctor and make sure you wean off yes otherwise you drop a grenade on yourself and that's not fun <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness well I would love I'd love to kind of switch and, and talk about about yoga a bit um, more. We, I mean, we've already talked about it, but let's talk about it more. <laughs> um, because I feel like it, it's, um, it is something that's kind of multifaceted. For me, I started doing yoga just to kind of move my body af- after I had kids, um, or my first, my first child. And, and it became so much more because it, it, it came, became a way to be mindful and to slow down. And I used to be very anti-yoga. I was like, that's slow. That's boring. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I was like, I had a punching bag. <laughs> like, I used to be, like, very, very intense with my workouts. And so I was like, yoga's lame. <laughs> but really, <laughs> but really, it really does test the, the limits of your body. It shows you what you're capable of. And it's very therapeutic in a way. Mm-hmm. What What has your... um. What was it like when you started yoga? Because I think that that is something that's really important for people to know. I couldn't touch my toes when I started doing yoga. Like, could not reach those at all. Like, so, yeah. and now I'm, like, upside down and, and all the crazy things. But um, what was it like when you started yoga? Uh, well, first of all, I remember being, going, well, okay. I, when I went to the Vail Athletic Club, that wasn't my very, very first time I had done, somebody, one of my friends, when I was pregnant with my son, had these prenatal yoga tapes on, on the VCR, mm-hmm. and so I would, I would do them, and, and it was Shiva Ray, and she had a picture, so she was the, kind of the first, tri- I don't think she was pregnant in the video, but she was the first trimester, and then they had a woman that was second trimester and third trimester, and she could kind of follow along, and oh, that's awesome. I would follow along that, on that tape uh, a couple times a week, and so that was my very first 
experience with yoga. And my, it was to the point then where my husband was like, I think you need to go do that yoga thing. But uh-huh. <laughs> he saw how much it, it calmed me down. Yeah. And then, anyway, I would say, though, when I really started in 07, gosh, it, it started as a, a physical. And, yeah, I had all those limiting beliefs, like, oh, I can't touch my toes mm-hmm. I you know self-conscious about my body and the male athletic club at the time had mirrors in the front and right. I remember just looking at my size and, and I was like okay don't 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 look at that just <laughs> twist and then see what your neighbors are I had no clue I just I would just have to look around yeah I had to get over myself and I had to be willing to look around to see what other people were doing and not it, it took a while and to not compare myself to what other people are doing. Nobody cares what you're doing on your mat because they're too worried about what they're doing themselves. Yes. So I I just remember, though, after that first class I took, and my teacher played Amazing Grace and Shavasana, as I said, and I just started feeling just all this possibility after. Things that I felt that I kind of, that, that kind of had a grip on me, like worry about things. There's just this trust after, like, oh, it's going to be okay going to be okay um so and then the, and then you know Darren always says wherever you go there you are and so however you are on your mat is how you are everywhere and, and when you're at your edge of the pose like right when you want to come out of the pose when you're shaking or you're reactive or you're like I'm out of here and you stay that's when the that's when the pose begins and so I just started making all those parallels from on my mat to off my mat oh if I can do side crow oh my gosh I can have a challenging conversation with so-and-so or um just my the physical practice just showed me so much possibility off of my mat the ability to you know believe in myself to have challenging conversations to start another business to you know to move on from relationships and um I mean the list could go on and on and on just to, to be less reactive or and and really though the so there's the physical practice and though it's really led me more to the mental, mm-hmm. to the personal inquiry, to what would be possible if I viewed myself a different way? Because for so long I had it that I was my depression, that I was the bipolar, that I was mm-hmm. the anxiety, and those that I was just stuck in the confines of these labels and the shame. And and what my practice has given me access to is like you've experienced these things. And you are not these things. They don't define me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I choose how I get to define myself. And if I want to put myself in a box, like, that's pretty limiting. And so just constantly just disrupting the drift, giving up what's in my way and committing to my North Star. Constantly. I mean, mm-hmm. every moment I'm, like, give something up and then commit to something new. And so it, it really, though, it all started with the physical. Yeah. And... I I love that so much because I think it I think it also goes to show how um, how flexible our identity can be because it feels very locked in especially if you've been like formally or not formally but formally um, diagnosed it feels very locked into your identity and it feels like you're in a box I know it did for me where like, like I was saying like it was just like okay well this is just who I am for the rest of my life like story's over and um, when in reality, it's it's us kind of having these epiphanies and making these choices of like, no, this isn't who I am. It, it might be, you know, something I'm experiencing. 
It might be um, it might be a small piece of who I am. It depends on how, again, how you want to identify with it. But that's what's so beautiful is it's like your identity can be so flexible and you can you can change a whole narrative just by mental choice and and again committing to that choice as well yes I would agree and I I want to travel back to the conversation I was having with one of my healers when she told me you know it's your it's going to be your purpose in life to go out and demystify anxiety and depression for people and Mm -hmm. you know only only before that point I would tell you that I was labeled bipolar but you had to promise to keep it a secret or you know I would stick Mm -hmm. a needle in your eye Mm-hmm. And then I remember, so I saw her on a Sunday, and the following Monday, I had, or just the next day, I had a personal, 40 Days to Personal Revolution meeting at the Vail Athletic Club, and it's set up where it's on the ground level, and it's really high ceilings, and there's windows that face towards Vail Mountain. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting in this circle, and I shared about my appointment, and I said, okay, guys, I was labeled bipolar in high school. Like, it was the first time where I owned that label, in front of this whole room, and I'm not kidding you, there must have been some event going on on Vail Mountain. As soon as I said that, all these fireworks started going <laughs> on. <laughs> yes! Like, oh my gosh! It's an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement of the universe that's like, I'm on, I'm on the right track. Yes. And that, yep, I, I've had this label, and I can be free from the label. And actually, I can, there's power in the share. And, and then I started sharing on Facebook of, I've started getting really vulnerable on Facebook. Not all the time, just maybe four times, five times a year. And when I did, and then I saw the outpouring of comments back of people thanking me, or, oh my gosh, I needed that, or yeah. me too. Or, you know, I get private messages, whether it's with someone themselves personally were dealing with things, depression, anxiety, or they knew somebody who was. So then, when I started, like, I started getting the high off of, empowering others like that yeah and um so the more i come out of hiding and share then those labels don't have the grip on me and then and then i i feel like it sets other people free yeah oh i love that i love that perspective on it too because it's like before it was something where it was like yeah you just like kept it locked away like a secret be, and you lived with shame with it because otherwise, I think I think in our minds in that space, the other option is to publicly live with the shame. <laughs> like, like it's like I either hide it and live with the shame, or I say it to the world and then live with that shame, and the world shames me, and that feels like those are the only two options. When in reality, you you can take that path like you took where you express it and you and you say it and you say, hey, I've been labeled with this, and I love I love the the like wording of that I've been labeled with this um or even saying like I'm you know I've I'm experiencing bipolar disorder and and also stating in the same like instance that it doesn't define me it's not who I am and I am so much more than it and I think that's really powerful to where we it, it allows us this path to to express and be open about that and not live with shame around it and also and also feel like it's not something that's necessarily permanent either um just i'm i'm a firm believer that you can overcome um i call it the bad and call it you can beat the bad (laughs) bipolar anxiety and depression um so you know it's something that you get to like own but also not 
feel like it has to be this permanent thing in you. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, and our mutual friend, Shelly Paxonite, she posted something on Facebook six weeks ago in promoting her book, Sobatical, and just something around, like, we all have stories and how powerful it is to, to, sh- to own our stories and to share them. Yes. Yes. And it, it's one of those things that is, yes, it's vulnerable and yes, it feels scary, but that's when people come and meet you and and they feel seen because you just decided to show up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just such a cool thing, I think, in life. Like, it's just, I don't know, like, it's one of those things you, you maybe, like, don't expect when you first make that step. And then it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And I've, I've had people come to me and say, I, I want to share, I want to share my story and I'm really scared. Mm-hmm. And then it's just kind of walking through, and I just from what I do, I lead teacher trainings and coach people too. And, and it's just like, well, what, what are you scared of? What is holding you back? And then what would be possible on the other side? Like not only for yourself, what's possible for all these other people that could hear, hear your vulnerability, you know? And um, I think that's just so cool. And then, yeah, it's just that the whole ripple effect of, of paying it forward without even really trying to. Yeah. Yeah, it just then can happen naturally um, after yeah. after that. And I I love that, too, because I, I love to, to flip it sometimes, too, and where it's like, would you want your friend or a family member, would you want them to keep this secret and to be scared to, to share their story and their experience? Like, no. <laughs> no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want that. And so, you know, it's like well, then let's give ourselves permission to, to move through the fear and do the same so that we can, not even so that we can be supported, but so that we can allow that weight to be lifted off of ourselves. Because literally you could share that and nobody could respond, but you've still moved through the fear of opening up. And that's that's massive. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Baron Baptiste always says, do the thing and you'll have the power. Mm. Yes. And don't feel like you, you know, have to be perfectly yeah. ready to do the thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes I think if we wait, if I wait until I'm ready, it, it, it just, it, I'd be, I'll be dead. Right? <laughs> Seriously, though. And I think that's what's, that's what's so cool, too. Um, when you were talking earlier about the, the parallels that you find between yoga and life, I've, I've had the same thing um, happen for myself where it's like, yeah, it like, it's it's weird sometimes how like parallel they are where you can find like the things that you can do in yoga um tie into life and it's it's the same thing i think with yoga like you never know that you're ready to do a pose <laughs> like until you just try and you do it like you like there was never a time where I was like, yes, I'm ready to do a hand a handstand now. <laughs> like, no, I'm like, okay, we're going to see if what happens and then go from there. <laughs> yeah, and it's like right in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, just, oh, and everything that just buttons up and then, yeah, that's what's, that can be a pretty cool experience. Yeah, and even if it's not perfect, even if, I mean, one of the first things I, I know for me, it's probably not like the correct way to do it, but like. I taught myself how to fall over in a handstand because I was like, I'm going to keep trying, but I'm at least going to know how to, how to, how to fail gracefully, or at least in a way that doesn't hurt myself. <laughs> and then I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> oh, 
I'm still working on that part. I need to work to fall out. I can get a handstand and then I'm like chicken to fall over. So I, yeah, that, that part still a work in progress. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was, and that was probably one of the scariest things because I didn't, this is total, total side story, but like, I didn't know how to, how to bail out like sideways. So if I could feel myself falling, I would, you know, go to the side. I didn't know how to do that at first. So I, I was just like, okay, it's kind of like a back bend. We're just going to bend our knees and hope the feet hit the ground before the butt. (laughs) And like I had pillows everywhere. (laughs) And then that's just what I taught myself to do until finally, like I had enough strength and uh, I I understood uh, my body, you know, enough to be like, oh, I can just kind of turn and like bail out sideways instead of flipping all the way over. Yes, yes. Oh, this has been just such a such a wonderful conversation. And and thank you again for coming on the podcast. I I I truly believe it's gonna help everyone listening. Oh, I am honored to be on your podcast, Olivia. I really appreciate all of your time and generosity. Yes, of course. And is there any, you know, last words um that you'd like to leave with everyone listening today? Well, sure. I just, I, you know, I maybe cliche, and I, I just think like wherever you are, we are is where we're meant to be, even if it feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And there's power in just just owning it, and it's okay. However you're feeling, sad, happy, all the things, and that joy really is our birthright. And um, and I'm I'm around. If anyone wants to email me at bipolarbook at gmail. Dot com. I literally am an open book, and it is my mission to support others and owning their story. And and I think the more we all own our own stories, it's just we we can lessen with lessening the stigmas of depression and anxiety and bipolar. It just will be just more healing and a more loving planet. And let you know suicide rates going down and all of that um, to, to own it versus to to run from it. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Now, where can everyone um, find your book and follow you on social media, websites, all that good stuff? Oh, great. Bipolar is available. It's available on Amazon, or if you want to support local bookstore, the Bookworm of Edwards in Edwards, Colorado. But Amazon, I think it's on Barnes and Noble online, and it's an ebook and a paperback book, fourteen ninety nine on paperback and. My social media on Facebook, I'm Julie McEachern Cadu, and on Instagram, I'm Julie Cadu, and it's K I D D O O. And then also at uh, Revolution Power Yoga, our website has information on yoga and, and all of that jazz. Awesome. And I'll make sure to have all of that linked in the show notes as well so everyone can go and, and click on the links there. Well, thank you so much again, Julie, for coming on the show. Yay. Thank you, Olivia. I really appreciate all of your time. All right, my friends, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I love you so much. As always, you keep saying Simply Awesome. I'll keep saying Simply Ollie, and I'll chat with you on the next pod. Bye.